0: While kids are on their way out there, just to let you know where we've been, we've been um, in a series called Gospel Life, which is where we're talking about what the gospel means. Uh, Oh, just real quick, as as we get started, um, we're actually not having any closing music, so as a part of the service, um, we're... Right. Okay. So, if you if you have a connect card or an offering that you're that you brought today, um, we don't we're not doing a typical offering where we pass a basket today. Just place it in the basket on your way out today, um, because we're not going to do a song at the at the end of the service. So, if you could do that for us, that'd be great. So, we've been in this series called Gospel Life, and basically um, to catch you up if you haven't been here for a while, we've been talking about what the gospel is. The gospel is simply that Jesus came. He died. He rose again, and he brings, uh, gives us the opportunity for salvation apart from our own merit, apart from our own abilities and and what we've done, but saves us by grace and by grace alone. And so we're saying, okay, that's that's good stuff. And for some of us who've never heard that, it's incredible news. But for some of us who've known it, who've come been to church a while. It becomes it's good news, but it becomes just okay news after a while. And it doesn't really affect your everyday living. We're saying how does the gospel affect our everyday life, our everyday rhythms of our walk? Because as we've talked about all the time, church is not something that we do and we just come and sit. It's about how the gospel impacts us every day, throughout the everyday rhythms of our life when we leave this place. And beyond, and so today we find ourselves in Acts chapter 10, because we've been walking through the book of Acts. And we're going to jump in and read an interesting story today in Acts chapter 10 about a guy named Cornelius. And so if you, if you would with me, if you've got a Bible or you want to check it out on the screen, uh, we're just going to jump in the scripture here and look at this story in Acts chapter 10. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Um, you're going to need a little bit of background about what's happening because um, it, this is a very loaded, uh, a very loaded passage. First of all, as a Jew, one of the people that you did not like were those who were Gentiles. Uh, Gentiles was anyone that was not Jewish, and um, this guy. Cornelius is a centurion. Now a centurion is a professional soldier. He's not just a, like a military man, but he's a high-ranking military man. Oftentimes you can see the word century has the word 100 in it. And so they, they thought that oftentimes these men would, would lead over 100 men. It was even found that in Caesar Augustus's day, uh, centurions would lead over 1,000 men. And so it's very possible that this guy, Cornelius, was a very prominent, a very wealthy um lieutenant type of scenario, or maybe even general type scenario where he had a lot of influence in the military. this was the very military, uh, the very types of soldiers uh, who in the scriptures accounts are the people who crucified Jesus. they were also the very people who were in charge of persecuting Christians and so the Bible accounts in several parts. Uh, especially in Matthew, that during the crucifixion of Jesus, it was in fact a centurion that oversaw the crucifixion of Jesus. So it was him, or not necessarily specifically him, but a person of his rank that was overseeing that. Um, We also see that it was a centurion who came and pronounced Jesus dead, who came to Pontius Pilate and pronounced him dead. We don't know if it exactly was the same one, it just says a centurion. Um, But we do know this was a, a high paying position. He wasn't just like your average dude. So if you're a Jew of that day, how do you feel and you're a Jesus follower, how do you feel about a guy who's a centurion? Is it somebody you shake hands with on the street? No. It's somebody you run from and hide from. Why? Because it were this it was the centurions who were leading military force against the Christians. In fact Paul, as we read about in uh, the last chapter, he is before his conversion, he was leading military forces to go into different cities and drag Jesus' followers out and take them back to jail to Jerusalem because they had left after the persecution happened and they had spread out of Jerusalem. So this guy is not exactly on good terms with those who were followers of Jesus. Yet it says something unique about him, Cornelius specifically. It says that he was devout and God-fearing... And gave to those in need, and prayed to God regularly. Now he lived in a very, um, you know, uh, you know, po- not what is it? I'm, I almost said polygamist, where they believe in many gods. Not, not they had lots of wives, um, but they believed uh, in many, many gods. And of course, they worshiped lots of different um, Greek, Ro- Roman gods. And he, I'm sure, as a as a as a man who was a part of the the political world of that day. He probably engaged in many different sacrifices and, and worshiped at the public temples and things like that. But for some reason, he believed that there was a one true God. And he began to devote himself to that one true God and began to actually give generously to those in need and began to pray Regularly. Now, he didn't believe in Jesus necessarily. He knew about Jesus, of course, uh, and the scriptures actually tell us later on that he, in fact, was witness to what happened to Jesus. So he witnesses what happens to Jesus, but he has not necessarily placed his faith in Jesus, but he's about to. Verse 3. One day at about 3 in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, Your prayers, gifts to the poor, have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants, and a devout devout soldier who was um, one of his attendants, told them everything that had happened and sent them, to Joppa. So an angel appears to Cornelius and says, Hey, listen, um, you need to go get this guy, Peter. And he doesn't necessarily know why, um, but he knows that he has to go send for a guy named Peter, and he obeys. He obeys the angel's uh, commands and sends for him. At the same time, or the very next day, verse 9, about noon the following day, as they were on their journey approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry And wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. Guys, have you ever fell into a trance while you're waiting for food? I do that all the time. But evidently, he had a very spiritual trance. Mine are typically not very spiritual. Verse 11, it says, He saw heaven open up and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. And then a voice said to him, or told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While well, at the same time, Cornelius had sent his guys down to go get Peter. So as soon as he has this vision, he actually kind of wakes up, awakens to these guys standing at his doorstep. So he has this vision. And then all of a sudden these guys are at his doorstep, knocking on his door saying, Hey, we want you to come with us. And Peter goes, Man, God is doing something. So so he goes with them. So Peter goes to Cornelius' house. He travels um, to Caesarea with these um, Gentile people who were, he knew was leading him to a centurion. Can you imagine how afraid Peter might would be, right? Um, and so... Peter goes, and Cornelius at the time, he actually invited a whole bunch of people over to his house, his friends and his family, because he says, this guy Peter's coming over. He's a Jew. He wants to talk to us, from, gives us a message from God. So he invites all his friends and family over to listen. And here's what happens. He says to them, he says, you are well aware that, this, that it is against our law for a Jew to associate or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So it was even against, his, against the law for him to associate with this guy, much less go visit him. And I'm sure that Peter didn't really want to go see this guy, okay? Because remember, they're still hiding and um, worried that they're going to get caught, killed, and hurt uh, by these soldiers. But yet he comes with them in peace and says, listen, God, God's shown me that I, I need to do this. Verse 43, he continues uh, as, as Peter really begins to just share the gospel with these people. He tells them all about Jesus. Tells them, I mean, they had heard about what had happened. But he tells them really the message behind the, what, what had happened. And then verse 43, he says, All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Now, this is new information for a Gentile. Jews did not offer up to Gentiles... The salvation message that was not heard of. Okay, the salvation was for the Jews. And here he is sharing the gospel message for people who are Gentiles, non-Jewish people, who were pretty much heathens, who worship false gods and stuff like that. But he says it was if you believe in Jesus, you can receive forgiveness through his name. Verse 44. While Peter was still speaking the words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on even Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. This passage continues to go. It's a, it's a very long story, and I kind of broke it up for you. It actually travels, or it actually covers um, chapter 10 and most of chapter 11. And it's interesting because the writer Luke, he retells the story about three times. Um, and Luke himself is actually, guess what? He's a Gentile. He's a Gentile doctor. And this story is very important for Luke, the author. Why do you think it's so important? Because this is, um, according to at least the the book of Acts, was really the the, not necessarily the first, but the, the big major kind of movement that the gospel was not just for the Jews or for those who were descendants of Jews. It was for the very heathen world, the people who were very, very far from God. It was for the Gentiles. Now, how many of you today are Jews? Do we have any Jews in the mix? Any Jews? You know what that makes you? Gentiles, right. Everyone who's not a Jew is a Gentile. And even today, most of the Jews have some kind of mix in them, uh, not who are even only partially Jew. And for a Jew, if you were only partially Jew, you, you were almost worse than a Gentile. Um, they, they didn't consider you, uh, they considered you something called unclean. And what I want to talk about today as we look at the story, because it has a lot of implication today, and. The interesting thing is, is we don't really talk about Jews and Gentiles today in church. But for some reason, people in the church, at least over the last couple centuries, especially in our in our Christianity history, um, we've created a very similar system where almost the people of the church who who go to church regularly, who do the right things, who obey the church laws, those kind of things, who are the good people, they've almost in their minds become the Jews and people who are outside the church have become much like the gentiles they've been people who are we don't really want to associate with the people outside the church because they're not like us and they're very different and they're heathen and they're far from god and they do bad things they smoke and they drink and they they cuss and you know things like that and it's going to rub off on on us because they're dirty they're unclean and if we get around them us clean people might get dirty that's in many ways been some of the perception that Christians over the years have had. And that perception has caused many, many people today, which is much of the problem with today, called many people today to reject the church, to reject modern Christianity. And how, how many times have you ever heard people maybe say this? Like, I don't go to church because it's full of hypocrites. Anybody ever heard that? Right. Everybody in the rooms heard that, right? I mean, I don't go to church because it's full of hypocrites. Or I don't go to church because they're, Judgmental? How about about that? Have you ever heard that one? Yeah, sure. You hear this. You hear these kind of things all the time. Maybe you, maybe you're new to church. Maybe you're new to God and you're not even a believer today. And you felt that you felt very judged by others who have been in the church. And you felt like people in the church kind of look at you like you're, you're lesser than them or you're the bad guy. Um, It unfortunately stems all the way back to this Jewish Gentile roots that the Jews believed themselves clean because they obeyed the rules, but those outside the rules were considered unclean. And now the Jews had hundreds and hundreds of laws that they had to follow in order to be clean. They had to maintain lots and lots of dietary laws. And so when God gave Peter a vision of seeing these animals, he gave him a vision of seeing animals that were unclean, reptiles and birds that they weren't allowed to eat. Peter says it wasn't because he really just was an animal lover that he wasn't going to get up and kill him, okay? He had no problem killing animals and eat them. But he saw things that God revealed to him that were not on the dietary list, right? They weren't allowed to eat things like lizards and bats and rattlesnakes or pigs. They, they could eat just chickens and cows and things like that. And so they weren't allowed to eat the split of um, animals. And so when he saw these, like, he's like, I've never... Even imagine in a million years and never consider eating something unclean, right? But but God said what? He said, you need to consider, He said, only I consider things clean and unclean. And what I've deemed clean is clean. And so God's creating a whole new system of what's clean and unclean and the role that um, people who are Jews have towards people who are Gentiles. And I also believe it completely applies to us, and I'll show you why, of those who are believers versus those who are non-believers? Because here's oftentimes what happens, as you and I know, is that um, people who are believers can be very um, judgmental towards those who are outside the church. And we really need to ask ourselves: How do we need to treat those who are outside the church? How do we need to treat those who are um, kind of functional Gentiles or people who are um, who don't follow Jesus? Just yeah, I want to give you just three things that I think are important things for us to know. If you want to take notes, you can write these down. Um, they're not too crazily or too overly profound. Um, but the first one is this, is just be ready to get dirty, all right? Be ready to get dirty. Because if you're going to be a person who decides, hey, I want to bring Jesus to a lost and broken world, then I'm going to get dirty myself. The other day I changed my daughter. She's two years old. She, I came home and she um, hadn't, I don't know, I guess, you know, we were kind of, my wife and I were kind of switching in and out. She had to run errands, and I was coming in. And somehow in the midst of us running in and out, she just didn't have her diaper changed. She got up from her nap, and her pants are just soaking wet and full. And she had a pull-up on, and I pulled her pants down. And this is going to be really disgusting, but for those of you who are a parent, you relate to this. When I pulled her pants down, a big blob of poop fell out on the floor. And, yes, it was very disgusting, and I did not want to touch it but I did. I was a good dad. I cleaned it up and I screamed the whole time like a little girl. And, uh, and I put her in the tub and I washed her off. I even bathed her. I put her back in some clothes and began to carry her around. And you've, you've done this if you're a parent and so if you're not, um, you're really missing out. But it, only a few minutes later, if you smell your arm, oh, there's just this residual smell that just begins to sink in the arm that holds the butt of your poopy child and so i just was walking around with just this scent of foulness on my on my shirt and some of you are like why don't you just change you know no i'm a parent this is you know we we don't change clothes because we smell like poop it's just normal that's why you see parents and there's like just throw up all down them and and they don't change why because this is what we do and so um and you guys probably all relate to that but whenever you, um, whenever you begin to work with people who are, who are far from God, the reality is is that oftentimes you're going to get dirty. I want to show you a, a Tim Hawkins video. Any of you guys like Tim Hawkins? Yes. He is hysterical. And this is one of my very uh, favorite videos. Let me show you this real quick. This is, happens to do about reaching out to those who are outside the church uh, and hand sanitizer. Have you seen this before. There's a lot of hand sanitizer in church. Anybody notice that? I don't know. At my church, they have these two hand sanitizer stations right by the front door greeters. That is not a good message. (laughs) People come in on Sunday. How you doing? Nice to see y'all. It's good to see you. Thanks for coming. You're gonna love it here. We just love people. You can just be yourself. You can just be yourself. We don't care. We don't judge you. We just love. You sit back, and whatever questions you have, you let us know. We'll let you know whatever we can do for you, okay? Y'all newly married? You got four kids? Four kids. That is a God love. We love kids here. Kids are like a little gift from God is what they are. They are just wonderful little creatures that God gives us. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where y'all from? Arkansas? Okay. Okay. There's some mints in the basket. Grab a handful, you circus freaks. Go ahead. Um, sometimes that's the perception, though, and what we want to do is destroy that perception—the perception that you know we, we don't want to get too close or in contact with people who who are who are far from God. Uh, Paul later, as as he um, writes much of the New Testament, in the book of First Corinthians. He talks about how he treats those who are outside the church. Because remember, he was, a, uh, a, as we read a couple weeks ago, he was persecuting those who were Christians. And now he became a follower of Christ. And now he's spreading the gospel message. Now, he was a very forceful person against the Christians. Very zealous and very forceful. I mean, he was torturing people saying, don't believe in Jesus. So maybe he would adopt the same kind of principles on the other side, you think? So he, do you think that he was putting people in chains saying, You better be believing in Jesus, right? Or I'm gonna beat you and torture you. No, he actually didn't. He treated them extremely different. Look at what he says in First 1 Corinthians one nineteen. He says, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. In other words, what he's saying is, Listen, I'm I'm not using my force or power. He says I I'm making myself a slave. Although I'm free, I, I'm making myself a servant of those people that I'm trying to share the gospel with. And notice he doesn't say to um, to impose my beliefs on or to judge or to condemn as many as possible. What does he say? What's the word? When. When. The con- what's the connotation there? Is it someone who kind of yells in your face? No. When is this, uh, and we sometimes use the word winsome, a very winning personality, is someone who has uh, a a presentation who uh, is actually enjoyable to be with. And he says, listen, I've made myself a slave to everyone so that I can win. I have the opportunity to share Jesus and let people know about Jesus. Not in a forceful, mean way, but for some reason over the years in churchianity, um, people and, and I don't necessarily believe that you guys do this, but over the years, TV evangelists and people in the street have done this, and, and the world's picked up on it. Um, they they believe that the Great Commission says something like this: Therefore, go and impose my teaching and values on all nations, threatening them with judgment, condemnation, and destruction. And if they don't obey everything I've com- and if they don't obey everything I've commanded you, punish them. All right. So this is that was not the Great Commandment, was it, or the Great Commission, was it? And so oftentimes today we see people who've created that. We've created this scenario where we're, where we're rude instead of winsome. And so Paul, Paul makes it very clear that it's our job to actually, uh, as even Jesus said, be in the world, not of the world, not to remove ourselves. But see, in that day, in the Jewish day, the clean and the unclean, the idea for the Jews was for them to come out and be separate. And sometimes t- preachers will preach that. We need to come out and be separated from among them. Jesus didn't say that. He said, my prayer is not that you would be separate. He says that you would be in the world, just not of it. In other words, you would live among people who are very unclean. You live among people who do not know me. You would live among sinners because you're a sinner. And, and then in the midst of that, you would still be of me. You would just be a witness of me and of my love and of what I've done for you. And so Jesus gives us this idea that um, it's okay for us to be uncomfortable and to get our hands dirty, just like Jesus did. Did Jesus get his hands dirty? Absolutely. He was always rubbing shoulders with people who were very far from him. He didn't just hang out with the religious folks. And so the same thing is true of us today. Um, verse, and the second thing, uh, I'm going to give you this, and before you judge too quickly, uh, this is a, this, I, I stole this from a guy named Annie Stanley. And I just thought it was very, very funny the way he said this one time when I heard him. Uh, but he has this catchphrase, and it says this, Judge the believing, not the heathen. All right? So yes, that is very ghetto, and um, I don't even know what you call that. It's kind of a dumb catchphrase, but I thought it was too funny. I had to tell you. So what he says sometimes is, Judge the, the believing, not the heathen. Here's what I mean. I'll explain this to you. You see, oftentimes... It, even Christians believe that the Bible says that we're not supposed to judge others. How many of you ever heard that? The Bible says, "Don't judge others. anybody ever heard that? In fact, most people think that's like hardcore, like as long as you don't judge people, and what you, you hear a lot of people, especially who are, who are not followers of Jesus, quote this against Christians, right? If you're a Christian, then they'll say, "Listen, you're not supposed to be judging me because the Bible says, "Don't judge anybody." Right. Actually, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't say not to judge. The Bible says who to judge. A very important difference. The Bible says who to judge, not that we're not supposed to judge. There's a great example of this in 1 um, Corinthians again by Paul, who was dealing with a guy in the church, local community, much like ours. Um, but there was a guy who was sleeping with his stepmother. Bad deal, Right. And Paul writes a letter to them saying, listen, I've already passed judgment in the name of the Lord Jesus on this guy. You need to get rid of this guy and kick him out of your church. That's what Paul said. And they were just kind of accepting this guy and saying, listen, we're just going to love you. We're just going to love you right where you are. And the, the difference was, is this guy was a person who claimed to be a Jesus follower. So this is confusing because um, what, are we, what are we exactly supposed to do? He clarifies it in 1 Corinthians Verse, or chapter 5, verse 12. Listen. He says, what business is it of mine to judge, to judge those outside the court, the church? And the answer to that is none. And then he says, are you not to judge those inside? And of course, the answer to that is yes. And then he says, verse 13, God will judge those outside. In other words, we have a new a new way to judge. We don't judge those outside the church. We just judge those inside. Now, if you're a person who says, "Hey, I'm a believer. I'm going to be held to the standard of following Christ, held to the standard of following Jesus," then you opened yourself up because you're now part of a family. You're now brothers and sisters with those who are also following Jesus to so, to be accountable to those who are walking with you. And so now, um, so we say we're going to hold each other accountable. And give each other the opportunity to to judge and to help each other through difficult times. Now, but what he doesn't say, what he says we're not supposed to do is judge those outside. Because what business is it of ours to hold someone who's not following Jesus to the same standard that we would hold to ourselves? What business is it? None. Let me ask you a question. Does someone who's not a follower of Jesus, did they sign up to follow the Jesus standards? Did they sign on the dotted line to do that? The answer is no. So why would we hold them to that standard? Let me ask you this question. Have Christians and have churches over our history of time, have they tried to hold non-Christians to the standards of Christians? Yes or no? Yes. And it comes out in many ways. People who are not followers of Jesus, we tell them, you shouldn't do this and that. No, I'm not talking about like like laws of our country, right? I mean laws of our country, that's we're all supposed to follow those and we all should be obedient to those. But I'm talking about things like here's a big one that you know people always talk about is is having, you know is is sleeping with people outside of marriage, right? And so we say we, we try to impose that on people who are who are not followers of Jesus and we say, You're you're a bad person because you did this. Now again, is it what's best for them? No. Is it what they signed up for? No. Did they agree to follow those rules? No. If you're a believer, do you agree to follow those rules? Yes. Can we hold them to that standard? Yes, absolutely. But for a person who's not a believer on the outside of the world, why would would we try to impose that upon them? Because what happens is when you begin to police the behavior of people who are outside the church, what happens is you just look like hypocrites, right? Right? Because they turn back on you and they go, you got all kinds of problems. Why are you policing me? I'm not even signed up for this deal, right? Why are you telling me to do this? And so you need to go back and police your own people. And that's exactly what we need to do. We need to police our own people, not police the people outside. And the reality is, if we're going to be people who are testimonies and witnesses like Peter was to people who are very far from God, people who believe and live in a very different religious culture and system like Cornelius did. He lived in a very pagan society, people who worshiped many gods and did horrible practices, drunkenness and debauchery and all of just terrible lifestyle. That, that was all a part of their normal daily life. So here's a man who's interested in Jesus. yet He essentially has been around a very, very, very uh, awful behavior-wise society. But Peter says, I now know, he says "that, that God doesn't consider them unclean. God's got a new system. The gospel has totally changed things, the way I view things. And the gospel needs to change the way you and I view things and the way you and I view people. And the way you and I view people who are outside the church versus how we view people inside the church. Outside the church, we view people with a heart that longs to give them Jesus, not a heart that longs to make them behave, right? So the next one is this. It's very, very simple, is that it's not your job to clean up the world. It's just our job to give them Jesus. Some people, some Christians believe it is their job to get the world cleaned up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to straighten the world out because there's all these people who misbehave. And it's my job as a Christian to make all of them believe what I believe and behave the way I believe and vote the way I vote. And although I wish people did exactly that, um, people will not, and that's not my job. My job is instead to give these people Jesus. Peter did not come to them and say, listen, whoa, hold a minute. Before I talk to you guys about Jesus, let me tell you all the things you got to get right. First of all, I guarantee you he had idols in his household. Did you know that every, every, every one of the people in this society, as a regular part of their daily activity, they would sacrifice, they would buy their food in a market that was sacrificed to false gods, demonic gods. And most of them had demonic idols in their home that they would pray to and worship to. And it's very possible that here in this house, there's even demonic symbols or false gods, or pictures, or, or statues, or something. He was, he was a pretty wealthy man, so he probably had a big house, and probably had a lot of stuff. And so he might even have a picture of, uh, of Caesar, and it said, Lord Caesar. Because they believed that Caesar was God, and that's who he had to worship. Did Peter say, no, 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 first of all, we got to clean this place up. we got to get your life in order so that you can know Jesus. No, that isn't what he did. He just told him about the redemptive work of Jesus, that Jesus died on the cross for him, that he rose from the grave for him, and that God replaces our sin with, with, with the blood of Jesus in order that we might know God. And so he just gave it to him free. And it's our, not our job to clean up the world. It's our job to give them Jesus. At, at the end, kind of towards the end of chapter 11, as Peter's sharing this story with the other followers, kind of letting them know what happened, because this is big news. Uh, they say this, uh, verse eleven or chapter eleven, verse eighteen. When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, "So then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life." This is a big deal. Guess what? You're a Christian today because this happened. Because you're a Gentile, you're a Christian today because the message of the gospel went out to people who were far from God, people who were not of Jewish descent, and it's our job today. To do the same, to be people who be bear witnesses to the goodness of Jesus, not to go police and clean up our society. Let me uh, show you real quick um, a great example of this uh, that happened on a very funny television show called The View. Have any of you ever seen that? The View had Hasselback and Goldberg. Uh, Hasselback left, I think, right. So, um, and so and on the View, they interviewed uh, a very famous pastor. His name is Mark. Driscoll they in fact interviewed him and his wife because he wrote a book called real marriage uh, i 've read the book it 's really good, but you, but honestly, the book is very, very raw and it 's very, very real about real life issues in marriage. It talks a lot about sex and, and marriage and things like that and uh, it's, anyway it 's a very very good book. I encourage you to go read it and he 's talking about his book on the view now. He's a pastor on the View. These are this is not a very uh, this is kind of a hostile environment, right? And uh, so and his book is a lot about sex. So they're kind of going after him a, a, a little bit about this. And Whoopi Goldberg asks him a great question, kind of a loaded question. And I'm going to read to you his response. Let me. Here's the question. First of all, here's what she asked him. She says this uh, to Mark. Now, if you're a widow. And you meet somebody and you do not want to get married again. Are you saying that a widow or a widower should just do without because God doesn't like it? In other words, I know that in your book, it it says that we're not supposed to have marital relations outside of marriage. Right? But in our worldly system, that's not a big deal. Right? And so Whoopi's like, this sounds kind of crazy. So let me push you. What about somebody who just doesn't want to get married again? They've already been married. They don't want to deal with all that. Maybe they're later in age. Maybe they're 70 years old. And they don't want to deal with all the marriage stuff and blah, 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 blah. Well, should they just go without? I mean, really? I mean, you're going to tell them they can't can't have marital relations with, with other people? Now, what are some of the questions, what are some of the answers that probably the average Christian would say? They might would say something like this. Well, this is what the Bible says. And so, yes, they're not supposed to have any kind of marital relations with anyone outside of marriage, right? Because that's just what the Bible says, right? That's what a lot of people would say. Some people would say, oh, you know, they would kind of dance around and not really know what to say. But the average person would say that. Listen to what Mark Driscoll says. And I think it's, it's brilliant. It's genius. He says this. Mark says, I worship a guy who died and rose a virgin. So that example would be that someone can live a full, great life without being sexually active. Do you see what he just did? What did he just do? Did he condemn him? Did he, did he say, did he say, you're, you're wrong if you do this? No, what did he do? He pointed them back to Jesus and he said, listen, I'm not judging you because you operate by a different standard than I do. But I do worship a guy who gives us an example of what it means to live a life that is full, apart from all the stuff that you think is really important. Because you see, in their worldview, in that worldview, that is almost God, isn't it? Isn't it? But you see, Mark says, you know, I have a a new God to offer you. His name is Jesus. And you can live a full and meaningful life without what you believe is very important and almost God. Pretty cool, huh? He didn't condemn. He didn't say, you're, you're just bad people and you just need to obey these rules. He just said, no, let me, let me just give you a glimpse of what it means to have Jesus. See, that's what we're supposed to do. If you're a follower today of Jesus, that's what our job is, is to people who look on the outside is to say things as simple as this to be a witness of how, and Jesus said it this way. He says, they will know uh, that God loves them by how they love each other, right? That's what Jesus described it. They'll see how you love each other. They'll see how you respond to God and how you live differently. And they're gonna wanna peek in and look on your life and go, why do you live so differently? And I want some of that. As you proclaim the gospel to them, as you tell them the good news, the good news, which is that Jesus died for them to give them new life. Jesus didn't die for them so they could obey all the rules, right? Jesus died for them so they could have new life. And so, um, for us, that's our job, to live in such a way and to be a testimony to Jesus in such a way that we would be able to shine a light into a dark place, that we would be able to be salt unto the earth, that we would bring back the taste of, of of the... of a dry life. Because there are a whole lot of people living without fullness in life who have a lot of other gods, right? Their gods are money. Their gods are power. Their gods are sex. Their gods are uh, a job. Their gods are material things. And we say, no, that's not fulfilling. But if you worship a God who is fulfilling, then all that stuff begins to work itself out. So my prayer for us today is that we would be a church that's on mission to the world that we would not be judgmental of the world, that we would judge each other well, we would encourage each other to live like Jesus does, like he called us to, so that we might have the opportunity to bear witness to his name and share the good news with these who are far from him. Now, just on the other side, just as a caveat, sometimes some people kind of go to extremes. They say, you're right, I'm not supposed to judge people outside the world Therefore, I'm not going to impose or talk to them about Jesus. Is that what we're supposed to do? Because they believe that talking about Jesus is imposing religion. Is that what we're supposed to do? There are many, many Christians who've gone to that extreme because it was really a reaction. People were yelling at people about Jesus, so they swing the other way and go, I just won't talk about Jesus. I'll just make it my religion. Is that what Jesus called us to do? Absolutely not. You're a Christian today. You're a believer today because somebody stepped out of their comfort zone and shared Jesus with you or with your family, right? Or invited you to church. And so Jesus' command for us to go out and be witnesses of the world and share the gospel doesn't change, but we do it in in a way that wins people, like Paul said. He says, I become a slave to everyone. I'm willing to serve people so I can win them, so I can tell them about Jesus, not so I can condemn them, clean them up so I can tell them about Jesus. Let's tell them about Jesus. Maybe you're today and you didn't know that all this was true and that Jesus loves you right where you are. You can know him. It's very easy. You just place your faith in him. And the good news is this, that Jesus loves you so much, he gave Jesus for you, for your sins, that he might know you in heaven. All you have to do is just offer him your life. Let's pray together in Jesus'